Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. the original terrorist is Satan himself. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In the context, Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd, the one who really cares about the sheep. The one who really cares about people, who really wants what's best for them, and who loves so much that he's willing to lay down his life for them. And that is contrasted with thieves and hirelings and the evil one who comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's so easy to forget that Satan is alive and well and that he is always trying to destroy everything that's good and valuable in our lives and in our homes. You see, if we don't understand that the enemy is always there, then many times we will give in and we'll be taken advantage of. And you need to understand that that Satan is so deceptive, and many times he quotes Scripture. In fact, the Bible says the devil believes and trembles. He believes in God. He trembles at the thought of God. And the devil will take Scripture and twist it and help you rationalize whatever kind of life you want to live and whatever priorities you want to live by. And here's what I believe. Satan, who is the original terrorist, focuses on two areas, money and sex. Now listen to me carefully. How many families and homes have been destroyed by money or sex? See, Satan is has incredible wisdom, and he's going to go after the home. He's going to go after the family. And his methods, what he uses, the finances, sexual, morality, immorality, it's his method. So you need to understand he is our adversary. He is our enemy. He is out to take us down. And many times I think that Satan is able to hold us hostage because we listen to the lies. We're deceived. We think that we can buy into the philosophy that says you can have it all and have it now. Got to have it, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it now. My favorite commercial on television is, and I hadn't seen it lately, but it's where this guy has everything, you know, and and the, the, the question... How? And he said, I'm, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. 
And that's where most Americans are. And we're being held hostage by Satan and the very things that are the most valuable in our lives are being little by little destroyed, taken away from us. Because we're bowing down to the gods of cash and cars and clothes and castles and cosmetics. Oh, wait, I didn't mean to say that. I'll just see as we're going there and it just... Because I believe in makeup. I've seen miracles and I... I... Anything that can turn a wilderness into a flower garden, I'm for. I really am. I guess I was, I was thinking about extreme makeovers. I was thinking about elected surgery. So I can't believe he's going there. I, just, I don't know either how I got over here. But, but since I'm over here, just let me say, ladies, at the rapture, everything that's not you stays. I better get back to where I was headed here. <laughs> but you need to understand that, that when that thing that somehow you have in your mind that you can be it all and do it all and have it all is a setup. Satan is trying to set you up for a fall. God says, if you'll put me first, if you'll return to me and obey me and seek my truth and live my way, then I will rebuke the devourer. I will deal with the terrorist. I will protect you. And yet we let pride and materialism, greed, you know, the, I, I, two or three times I've watched this show, Deal or No Deal. I ought to do a sermon on that whole show because that is so American. Because, and when you read about, they say these families, when they, these people, when they're back in the back room, they say, you know, if I get this amount of money, I'm going home. But when they get in there and they start hearing the crowd and their friends saying, no deal, no deal, no deal, they get up to $123,000 and they keep going. I'm sitting there saying, you are an idiot. Take it and run. But they don't do it. And they get on back down to a couple of dollars and walk out of there like this. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Greed. Greed. And could there be a worse terrorist in our homes than, the, than greed? And yet we're consumed by it. We're eaten up with it. All of us have to be careful. Because, all, you know, things we, we don't, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time that, that the world gets a hold of us. I remember when I was in seminary, I, I finished seminary and I was teaching a couple of courses in, in seminary and pastoring a church part-time. And an encyclopedia person came by to see me. And he was just, you know, delighted to know that that I was teaching at the seminary and that I was pastoring a church because he began to tell me what he could do for me. And he said, because of who you are, I can give you the, the best deal that I could give anybody because you're in the field of education. And because of who you are, you understand scholarship and you understand the value of Britannica, that it's the best 
in the field. As a scholar, you know that. I'm thinking he, he knows me. And he says, because you, you are a minister, I can give you another discount. But then he says, because you are teaching at the seminary, I can give you the red covers. The red covers. Normally, libraries get that. But because of who you are, I can give you the red covers. And it's just a few hundred dollars, just a few dollars a month for the rest of your life. <laughs> and what did I do? I bought it. Why? Because of who I am. He realized that I was somebody special and that I had the red covers and that I was a scholar and that I got the best deal. They came. Red, red covers, Britannica. This was before computer stuff. Now you don't even need the books anymore. In fact, I could sell you these if you're interested at all. <laughs> About two weeks after they'd come, I was down the street. I happened to be talking to my neighbor. And somehow this subject came up. And I found out that he bought the same set for the same price, and he ain't nobody. But, you know, as I, as I remember that story, I, I see how easy it is for us to get caught up in what we think we have to have or how prestigious a certain set of books would look, like, look on the shelves. You know, I haven't read those encyclopedias, but I have an idea that about anything I would want to know could be found in those pages. And I also have an idea that everything in that entire set has been written with using just 26 letters. That is amazing. 26 letters. The Bible says Jesus is the A and the Z. And what God says... I give you Jesus. Jesus is God's wealth. What am I saying? I'm saying that you will never, ever need more than Jesus Christ. He's the A and the Z of life. He's the one who deserves your priorities. He's the one who can help you know what's valuable and what's not valuable what to give your life to and what to not give your life to. So what I want to do in these next few minutes is I want to give you some foundational truths because I'm trying to help you understand. I'm not just preaching about money. I'm trying to help you understand life and understand who you are as a believer and what that means and what your responsibilities are. I want you to think. I want you to listen. I want you to evaluate I want you to know these foundational truths. Truth number one, God owns everything in this world and in the world to come. He is the owner. We are the managers. You say, well, but, but I, I work for everything I get. I work hard for what I get. Deuteronomy 8 says it this way. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he 
who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. God owns it all. And God gave you the ability to work. God gave you the brain power to accomplish what you accomplish. And anytime you say, it's my money, I'll do with it what I want to, you misunderstand the truth of God's word. And you stand in opposition to that truth because God is the owner. Foundational truth number two. God's nature is giving. That's who God is. God is the ultimate giver. 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. That sums it up pretty well, doesn't it? You didn't get here with anything. You're not going out of here with anything. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Where does it come from? It comes from God. Philippians 4, 19, And my God shall supply how many of your needs? All of your needs, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. See, we need to understand that God created the world and everything in it. God made man in his own image and breathed into man the breath of life, and he became a living soul. What does that mean? The air that we breathe, the life that we live, is a gift from God. And we're not even promised tomorrow. We're told to use that gift and treat it as a gift the day that we have it. Even our talent is on loan from God. So God's nature is giving. And everything God made, he made to give. The sun gives, the moon gives, the stars give, the clouds give, the trees give, the seas give. Everything God makes, he made it to give. He made man to give. So if God is the greatest giver, that's his nature, then everything that he makes... He's going to make a giver. And he makes man in his own image for man to be a giver. Why is it that we struggle then when it comes to giving? And why do so many people not give? The answer is one word. Sin. S-I-N. I know you've noticed the middle letter in sin is what? I. I want my own way. I want to do my own thing. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And so that's where the struggle is. So here's foundation number three. The fall of man broke the cycle of giving. When Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that broke the cycle of giving because until then, before the fall, It was give, give, give. After the fall, it was get, get, get. After the fall, I will be in charge. I will do what I want to do. I will have my own way. I will be as God. That was what the terrorists told Eve. So the impact of the fall has affected everything. 
See, you just need to understand why you have trouble giving is because of the impact of the fall. Because of the sin factor. Listen to what the original terrorist told Eve. Genesis 3, 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How intoxicating is the thought that one could be as God? You say, come on, pastor. Nobody believes that he could know as much about God as God the creator who made everything. I can't believe that Eve would have fallen for the lie of the terrorist rather than trusting the word of a loving God. I can't believe that. Do you understand that, that Eve's era is repeated over and over and over in the church of God today? When we reject the principles of God, when we decide for ourselves how to use God's resources, leaving God out of the equation, it all came from God. God has laid down the rules for the use of His resources. And when we take that away from God and we make our own decisions and choose to do what we want to do using our own judgment rather than, than the Word of God, we are committing the same error that Eve committed at the garden. There's no difference. Anytime we ignore the truth of God and follow our own wisdom, we are committing the error of Eve in the garden. And I want you to know it didn't go well with Eve. And it hasn't gone well with the world since. All because of the fall. And why people have trouble today is because we keep giving in to the terrorists just like Eve. And every time we give in the terrorists, it will not go well for us. I saw a bumper sticker one day that says, tithing, colon. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I thought that's not true. God, settled, God said it, that settles it. doesn't matter what you or I think. That's true. It's amazing. We pick out what we think is good that God said, and we said, now I'll buy into that. I can use that. I like that. God's truth is not related to our opinion at all. doesn't matter what we think. It matters what God says. It's like I read about this, this guy that was, came to a sign on the road that said, bridge out three miles. And he did what some of you did. <laughs> he went around the sign and on down to the bridge. Got down there and the bridge was out. He had to turn around. And as he turned around and started back up that road, there was a sign that said, welcome back, stupid. How many times have, God, have you heard God say, don't do that, don't go that way? But you went on that way anyway. 
Surely God doesn't mean that. That's what the terrorist was saying to Eve in the garden. Surely God didn't say that. Just go on down that road. It's probably fun. And then you have to face a sign, welcome back, stupid. You see, the smartest thing we ever do is listen to God in the first place. We, as kids growing up, you know, it's amazing to me how many times we disobey our parents. And we're, we're so foolish and so naive and so selfish and so sinful that we think we know more than our parents. When every time they usually know best. And we get in all kind of trouble out there because we simply didn't obey. So these foundational truths, number one, God owns it all, this world and the world to come. Number two, God's nature is giving. Number three, man's fall broke the cycle of giving. And now everything is get. It's me, it's mine. I want to be in charge. I want to do what I want to do. But here's the fourth foundational truth. God gave us Jesus to solve the problem. And if we weren't Baptists, we'd say hallelujah. God gave us the greatest gift. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And don't miss this. There is an eternal connection between love and and giving. Don't tell me you love your family if, you're, if you aren't a giver to your family. Don't tell me you love your church if you're not a giver. Don't tell me you love God if you're not a giver. You see, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. God so loved. He gave the best that he had. So that we could have salvation, so that we could have redemption, so that the curse could be reversed. God's greatest gift. And we couldn't repay that if we had 10,000 lifetimes. See, there should never need to be a sermon on giving in a church if you just understand how much God loves you and what He gave when He gave Jesus Christ so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be saved, so that you could be a part of His eternal family so that you could cope with life, so that you could one day go to heaven forever. Jesus is the wealth of God. Now listen to me. Listen carefully. Theologically, biblically, from the moment you get saved, you become a giver. And if you're not, there's something radically wrong. Because here's the fifth foundational truth. Christians give. Period. No excuses. No rationalization. Christians give. They give obediently. They give lovingly. They give generously. They give consistently. The New Testament says they give hilariously. So if, if you, listen to me, if you claim to be a Christian and you are not a giver, then either, number one, you're not 
saved. You're not a child of God. You haven't been converted. You're still back before the fall. You're caught in that sin control trap. Or you have a tumor in your soul as big as a grapefruit. You've got a spiritual problem because you've gotten away from God. A lawyer didn't like the sermon the pastor preached on giving, and so he fired off a letter to him on Monday that it said, Pastor, every time I hear you preach, you preach about money. All I ever hear is give, give, give. So the preacher answered the letter, and he said, Thank you for writing me the letter. I am sad that you haven't been in church for 11 months. But I do thank you for giving me the greatest definition of the Christian life I've ever heard. Give, give, give. When I was in the ninth grade, eighth grade, we had the intercom system at our school. It was kind of a new thing then. We didn't have, of course, we didn't have computers. We didn't have high tech anything. It was low tech. And Mr. Willis was the principal, and Miss Manor was my English teacher, and she was single. Mr. Willis kind of was deteriorating, gravity had taken its toll. And he had this voice, this deep voice, and he loved to talk on the intercom. I think he loved to hear himself. And so he would call a teacher or somebody in the office, and so I was sitting close to the intercom, and Mr. Willis comes on. You could hear it before it says anything. You could hear the noise that you know it's coming on. So I listen up. Mr. Willis says, Ms. Maynard, please come to the office. Ms. Maynard, please come to the office. I don't know why, I just, you know, I was just sitting by it and just, it came out before I thought, I said, just a minute, honey. <laughs> Our class was down the hall from the office. I could hear him running down the hall. <laughs> and he came in that classroom, he said, who did it, who did it, who did it, who did it, who did it? And nobody, nobody moved. Tell me who did this whole class stays in all afternoon. I knew then I had to fess up because I didn't want the wrath of that whole class. So I said, I, I did it. He comes back there and lifts me up. I can walk all right, but he's going to help me. <laughs> he lifts me up and pulls me out in the hallway and takes me down the hallway. He stops about three doors down, right in the middle of the hallway, just starts shaking me. He says, Fred, I think the devil has a hold of you. I said, I do too. I do too. <laughs> It was the wrong thing to say. But I had a couple of days off from school, and it worked out all right. But I tell you that to let you know that if you are not giving and you are a Christian, the devil has a hold of you. There is no other justification. And you need to understand that. Because when man fell, he went from a giving nature to a getting nature. He went from a, when he got saved, he went from a taker to a giver. When you get saved, there's a total change. Before you're saved, you are a getter, selfish, self-centered. After you get saved, you become a giver. Before you get saved, you are a taker. I want it. I want it all. I want it now. After you get saved, you become a giver.
And one of the clear signs that you belong to the Lord is that you have His nature. If I had an apple pie here this morning, and I wish I did. My wife cooks the best apple pies of, of anybody in town. And if I had this apple pie, and I can just taste it already, and I'm sorry she's over at the tiny town at a worship deal over there. This might would come off as a hint. Uh, <laughs> but let's say I have this apple pie right here, and I take a slice out of it, and I take the slice of the apple pie, and I put it here. And then I would look at that piece of apple pie, and I would say, what are you like? Would the piece of pie say, I'm like a cherry. I'm like a banana. No. I am like what I came from. Where did we come from? God. What is God like? His nature is a giver. All Christians are givers because we come from a giver. The greatest giver of all. God gives and He gives and He gives. It's His nature. It's who He is. And so we then are a part of Him. We get His nature. We have His nature within us. It even goes further than that. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit God takes up residence in us. God is in us as a giver. And if we're not giving, we are frustrating God. We are disappointing God. We're not letting God be God through us. Because God is a giver. God can't be pleased unless He's giving. You remember Zacchaeus uh, in the New Testament, a fascinating story in Luke 19. He was a short man in stature. And that's what most people remember about Zacchaeus is his, you know, being short and climbing the sycamore fig tree. But Zacchaeus was a man who lived in a bad city, Jericho. If you remember the Jericho Road and and the thieves and the terrorists who were on that road. He worked at a bad trade, tax collecting. He was not only a tax collector, he was chief tax collector. He was top crook. These were hated people. The Jews hated them because they felt like they were traitors. They'd sold out to the Romans, working for the Romans. And the Roman system lent itself to great abuse because these tax collectors would pay a certain fee to Rome and then they could charge anything they wanted to charge. There was no television or radio or fax machines or computers to get the word out on what you had to pay. So they would charge anything they wanted to charge. And if they charged a person, you've got to pay this amount, the person says, I don't have that amount, then they would mortgage that person's house at an exorbitant interest rate and pretty soon that person couldn't pay and the tax collector would take that house. They were known for taking the houses of widows 
the poor people. So here was a man who lived in a bad city, who worked in a bad trade, tax collecting. He had a bad habit, collecting money dishonestly. Very unpopular. In fact, he was not allowed to go into the temple. These guys were looked on as, they were so bad that they could not even go inside the temple. So the mercy seat was not available for them. They were outsiders. But this man who had the power and who had wealth was missing. He had a big hole in his life. And that's true with every person. You see, I believe everybody in this world either has Jesus or needs Jesus. There's a hole in your life that you can't fill with money, with wealth, with power, with position. And so he heard Jesus was coming. He knew he needed something in his life. He climbed a sycamore fig tree with, that had all these low branches and then a little bit higher branches. He climbed up to the highest one he could climb because he wanted to see Jesus. Jesus came by and looked at him, and he, I'm sure Zacchaeus thought, he, he sees me, me, the one everybody hates. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, and he thought, he knows me. Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go home with you. And Zacchaeus must have thought, he wants to be with me. And I don't know what went on in that home, but i tell you what happened. Zacchaeus got saved. I think Jesus probably told him, I know that you've been shut out of the synagogue. I know there's no mercy for you. I know that you feel hated. I want you to know that you're loved, and I love you so much that I'm going to cross and lay down my life so that your sins can be paid for, so that Zacchaeus can have mercy. So that you can be saved. And you know the story, Zacchaeus was gloriously saved. And then what happened? Let me read it to you. Luke 19, 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, ah, don't worry about that. Just keep your money. It's not a big deal. Is that in your text? My text says, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come. Because as soon as he got saved, he started giving away. He was a taker. He was a notorious taker. He was the chief taker. The top crook. And now he meets Jesus and his life is totally changed. And now he is, he is moving from the chief taker to the chief giver. And I say to you, only Jesus can do that. I want you to know and understand that we're all selfish. We're born in sin. We have a sinful nature. And the only cure for that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only one 
who can turn us into a giver. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience on this earth. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. We have God's nature, the nature of giving. And we have let people speak lies into our ears and we have bought into a belief system that says we are what we have, we're what we do, we're what people say we are. Lies, lies, lies. If you're what you have, then you have to keep accumulating. And it's a cycle that never ends. You have no value outside of your wealth. If you're what you do and you can't do what you do anymore, then you're nothing. You don't exist. You don't matter. If you're what people say you are, then you have to always follow the crowd. You have to go along. You have to do what they do. In Alabama, we say if you follow the herd, you'll end up stepping in something. We are who God says we are. We have his nature. We are his children. We are givers. Now listen to me. Don't miss this. This is it. Don't miss it. Because our nature is giving, we will never be happy as we want to be, never as fulfilled as we want to be until we understand that and become who we are. You want to be happy? Become a giver. Because that's who you are. That's who God says you are. Jim Elliott, I love his quote when he says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, I wish to, I don't have time to finish. I'll finish some other time. But just know that if I help you understand that your nature is to be a giver and that's the only way you'll be happy one day you want to thank me let's pray we hope you were blessed by our program today if you would like a copy of today's program go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry.